In 2008, Nora McInerney was living in New York. Like lots of young people who moved there after college, she was just starting to figure out the big city. And she was living on a shoestring. I had a mattress on the floor. That was my bed. I had a hutch that I found on the side of the street. That was my bookshelf. And this being New York, she didn't live by herself. The roommates that I lived with, um, they had friends from college who lived in New York. So by moving in with these girls, I got like this built-in social network. One of those friends got her an interview for a job with a small public relations agency for luxury brands. Nora was hired. And one of the strangest parts of Nora's new job were the fancy dinners she and her co-workers felt obliged to attend. They took place about once every three or four months. They were always at a super expensive restaurant. Their boss, though, was never at these dinners. But someone else was. Her boss's psychiatrist. We walk in, it's a group of girls under 30, and there's an older guy at the table, and it's a big round table, and we all, you know, find our spots, and he knows most of these girls, he's had dinners with them, and so they all get hugs, and they get kisses on the cheek. Her boss's psychiatrist? Yep, Ike Herskoff, the shrink next door. Ike was short. I'm six feet tall, so everybody is short to me, but he looks like slightly grandfatherly, and he's so friendly. He's like jovial. He's he's engaging. He makes eye contact with you. He really makes you feel important. He makes you feel seen. For most of the evening, she says, Ike held court. He ordered fancy wines, bottle after bottle, and he led the conversation. And he would always talk about famous people as if he were their therapist. He, I was under the impression that he was Gwyneth Paltrow's therapist. He would ask you about work. He would ask you about your boss. He'd ask you about your life. And we knew that he was a therapist, and yet there was no talk about confidentiality. And we knew somehow that it wasn't confidential, but also I felt compelled to speak to him. It definitely wasn't confidential. Nora soon realized that whatever they told him was likely to find its way back to her boss. Nora would come to learn that she and the others had to be very careful what they said around Ike. At one point, her roommate gave her a warning. My roommate says, I would in all honesty, Nora, keep my mouth shut during dinner. For serious, don't say shit. I think it's a bad idea. It won't go down how you think it will. If not tonight, it'll come back tomorrow. And for some of Nora's friends, it did. Imagine a world where you can get shiny, healthy-looking hair color without spending hours in the salon. That is what you'll get when you color your hair with Madison Reed. Madison Reed makes coloring your hair at home super easy. That's because they give you all the tools you need to succeed, starting with the color quiz, their try-on tool, and color specialists ready to take your call or chat with you so you can make sure you're getting exactly what you need. Unlike many other hair color brands, Madison Reed Color doesn't contain harsh ingredients like ammonia, PPD, or titanium dioxide. Instead, it's full of ingredients that nourish your hair, like keratin and ginseng root extract, so you get shiny, healthy-looking color. So, if you're ready to look like you went to the salon at a fraction of the price, starting at just $22, head right now to madison-reed.com. Use our promo code THESHRINK, and you'll get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. That's promo code THESHRINK, all one word. From Wondery and Bloomberg, 
I'm Joe Nocera, and this is The Shrink Next Door. This is a special update episode, My Dinner with Ike. Almost from the moment The Shrink Next Door came out, I began hearing from people who had Ike Hirschkoff stories. Sometimes I met them in the strangest places. Nora, for instance. We met in Los Angeles at a big podcast industry party. We didn't just meet. I I ran across and pushed through a crowd of people, grabbed you by both shoulders, shook you, and said, I have an Ike story. If you're a regular podcast listener, you may recognize her voice. Nora is the host of the popular podcast, Terrible, Thanks for Asking. Joe, I got to tell you, this was always a story that I told afterwards. Like, you would not believe like how, how similar my life was to the Devil Wears Prada, only worse, because I had this wacky boss who used to make me go see her therapist. For Nora and the others, one of the nice things about those dinners was they got to eat out on someone else's dime. When we order food, we don't have to look at the price. Like, we can order a steak. But of course, they all knew that a free meal wasn't really why they'd been invited. They were there to spill their guts to Ike. At the time, Nora didn't really know what to think about it all. The dinners were just something she felt she had to do to stay on their boss's good side. We thought that was all normal. But then she'd get back to the office and start seeing changes. Sometimes somebody would get fired and sometimes somebody would get more vacation time or somebody would be, you know, rewarded or or punished in a way that always made us extremely anxious. In other words, much like Marty Markowitz did, it seems Nora's boss would pop out to have a session with Ike and then come back to the office to make sudden sweeping decisions. Our boss would go to the bank, quote-unquote the bank, and she would come back and eventually someone would get a letter. Nora says a friend of hers got one of those letters from her boss accusing her of having drug and alcohol problems. And um, that she would need to go and see Ike or she would need to, you know, uh, basically find another job. Nora would tell her boyfriend about these dinners with her boss's therapist. He was like, that is so smarmy and weird, and it just seems really unprofessional weird, and and I don't think you should go. And I thought, well, like, you don't even have a job, dude, so I don't know why you're telling me what a job should be like. And looking back, I I owe that boy an apology. I've been digging into the story of Ike and Marty for a decade, and honestly, I thought I'd heard it all. But I was wrong. Nora's story was just one of many that found their way to me after The Shrink Next Door came out. One woman told me that Ike had been her daughter's therapist when she was in college and had convinced her not to go to medical school. She finally left Ike, moved to Israel, and is now a doctor. A father called to tell me how his children were estranged from each other because of Ike. Another man said, When I saw the title of the podcast, I knew who the shrink had to be before I listened to a single word. We asked Ike about these kinds of stories and all the stories you'll hear in this episode, but he didn't respond to our request for comment. I also got an unexpected message from another well-known New Yorker 
Elizabeth Wurzel, the author of Prozac Nation, a best-selling memoir she published in 1997 when she was 27 years old. Elizabeth had been fighting breast cancer. She'd been writing about it for years. Her good friends knew something else about her. Ike had been her therapist when she was a kid. The text she sent me read, OMG could not figure out why people were getting in touch with me. Totally forgot that Hirschkoff was Dr. Isaac in Prozac Nation. Elizabeth died in January, so this is an actor reading her texts. Of course, I immediately got a copy of the book. In it, she says her mother saw Ike as her guru. That's the word Elizabeth used. Her father disliked him so much, he refused to pay Ike's bills. I also came across this wild passage in the book. During one of my long ramblings about Bruce Springsteen, he would interject that he had once treated Patti Smith, a singer whom I idolized, when she was in a mental hospital. Did I know that he had been the doctor who had examined Mark David Chapman when he was admitted to the psychiatric ward after assassinating John Lennon? Did I know the recently deposed president of NBC was one of his patients? I'd be left wondering, is this therapy or dinner at Elaine's? Elizabeth told me I could see her mother, her mother's boyfriend, and her, and that her mother socialized with Ike. I knew it was wrong when I was 12. I told my father. He took me to another psychiatrist who heard about all of this and was like, Jesus. A common thread in almost all the stories was anger. Ike stoked anger in his patients, and he kept it stoked. That's why Marty didn't speak to his sister for 27 years. I had a copy of the one book Ike self-published, a self-help book about anger. After hearing the stories these ex-patients were telling me, I started leafing again through the book. Most self-help books about anger give you tips for finding forgiveness, for moving on, for diffusing your anger. Not Ike's book. Its title is Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, Embracing Anger to Heal Your Life. In one chapter, Ike describes the five steps you should take if someone does something repeatedly that makes you angry. And his bar for what constitutes anger-inducing isn't very high. His example is when your mother constantly calls while you're at work. So, step one, tell your mom it's a terrible imposition to call you at work. Step two, if she calls again, tell her you're angry. Step three, tell her only to call if it's an emergency. Step four, next time she calls you, ask if it's an emergency. If it isn't, hang up immediately. Step five, never pick up the phone at work for your mom again. You've said all you have to say. Here was Ike's MO in plain black and white. This episode is supported by Home Chef. Home Chef simplifies meal planning with delicious meals delivered weekly to your door. The box arrives complete with recipe cards and perfectly portioned ingredients. You'll have a home-cooked meal in about 30 minutes. When you're short on time, quick oven-ready or microwave recipes offer easy prep with little mess. For $90 off your first month of orders, use promo code WONDERY at homechef.com. Home Chef. Delicious. Meet simple. Hey, listeners, we're excited to tell you a little about a brand new show, Memory Lane, from Realm, which is best described as part podcast studio, part magical refuge. 
Memory Lane is a psychological thriller about the dangers of memory from the creator behind the hit series Pretty Little Liars. After a memory implantation procedure reveals a secret that was never meant to be discovered, an estranged mother and daughter must trust each other like they never have before if they stand any chance at survival. This series is perfect for fans of Inception and Blood Ties. It'll keep you on the edge of your seat right to the end. Memory Lane has new episodes dropping every week. Learn more at realm.fm and be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Boom! The bullet tore into Salvatore Amato's right arm in the meat of his bicep. The gun was a small Remember this? We shared a short excerpt from Some Like It Big, one of Ike's six unpublished murder mysteries. The first rule of psychiatry is that everything has a reason. There had to be a reason that the door was deliberately left open after the murder. The only reason could be... It turned out that Some Like It Big had a plot twist I didn't see coming. Yeah, my husband and I had just moved from New York City down to his hometown of Atlanta. After the podcast aired... I was contacted by a former patient I'll call Beth. He chose to open a retail store in a strip mall, and he had gone that evening after dinner to install some weather stripping on the back doors. And when he didn't come home within, you know, an hour or two, I became concerned, made the phone calls to the store. Nobody answered. So I, you know, packed the kids into the car, and I drove up to our retail store. And found that the front door was unlocked. It was open. I could, you know, go in. But at that point, my gut was telling me, don't go in. You know, this is not not normal. Get some help. Get the police. Sure enough, the police found her husband's body lying on the floor. He had been shot once in the back of the head. There was no sign of forced entry. That's right. The murder at the heart of Ike's novel was seemingly based on a story Beth had shared with Ike, who had been her therapist for 25 years. Kind of makes you wonder where Ike got the material for his other five murder mysteries. As it turns out, that wasn't the only thing Beth believes Ike borrowed from her life to write his book. Yeah, this is this is a hard part, you know, for me to um, to discuss. I will. In Ike's book, the main female character has an affair with her boss before marrying his son. I'm in my 20s, and I have a, an affair, a sexual relationship with my divisional president. It was short-lived, but in any event, many, many months later, I started dating his son. Just like and some like it big. And I did tell him that I had been with his father, and I also told his father that I was seeing his son. So I felt very upfront and capable of managing that emotional peace. And a couple of years later, I ended up marrying his son. Just like in the book. And that is what also made me absolutely real with anger. I mean, I can feel it right now. I'm shaking like a leaf to have that used by my psychiatrist for his folly to write some sort of novel that he desperately wanted to have published is outrageous. Did he ever tell you that he was using your life in his book? Absolutely not. 
Then again, Beth had long known that confidentiality wasn't one of Ike's strengths. I was, you know, his first patient on a Monday morning, and it felt like, you know, a good five, ten minutes or so of the session would be him telling me about his weekend or, you know, whatever was going on for him. So, oh, I was just, you know, in, in England. Oh, why? Yeah, well, you know, I had to go to the, the set of Shakespeare in Love, Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, was having some issues, and she needed me over there to help have a therapy session. And I'm like, oh, why are you telling me this? Gwyneth Paltrow's spokesperson, by the way, did confirm to me that she had been a patient at Likes, but only for a few sessions. She said it wasn't a good fit. There was another time when Beth confided in Ike that she was lonely, and one of her girlfriends told her she should join a cuddle party just to experience hugging and being hugged. Ike said it was a terrible idea. If she needed hugs, he would give them to her. And did he? Yes. He would give me hugs at the end of a session for, I'm going to say, maybe a couple of months. Until one day he gives me a hug and I feel he has an erection pressed against me. And I just backed off and I left for the day and I never hugged him again. Beth stopped seeing Ike in 2008, but it wouldn't be the last time that she communicated with him. A few months after she listened to The Shrink Next Door, she gave Ike a call. Oh, can you tell me what happened in that conversation? Yes. He tried to keep it very light, and how am I, and how are my girls? And, you know, I told him I had listened to the podcast, and I was upset. And then he wanted to know where I was living, and he said he would come visit me. And it's like, I didn't ask you to come see me. I'm angry at you. And why aren't you asking me how you can help me with these feelings? I'm so angry. I'm so upset. And all he wants to do is talk about how my children have grown up and not even deal, you know, with the emotions of this situation. She says, I did have one thing to say about the podcast. He says, you you have to play the cards you're dealt. When I asked him about the podcast, that was the only response I got from him. It's like these cards were dealt to me. I had nothing to do with what cards I received. It is just fate. It's like you had everything to do with how can you not take responsibility for what you've done? So what did you do? I ended the call. To create the best Tucson ever, Hyundai questioned everything. The design, the technology, the features. How could Hyundai rethink the SUV? In the end, every inch of the new Tucson was completely reimagined, resulting in an SUV loaded with available innovations both inside and out, like daytime running lights stylishly integrated into the grille, a large 10-and-a-quarter-inch touchscreen, and even a digital key app that allows you to use your phone to unlock and start the vehicle. Design, technology, safety, all redesigned inside and out to create the best Tucson ever. Learn more at Hyundai.com. Hi, hi, hi. Marty, what do you got there? I got the, one of the montages that he wanted me to bring. Who I, wanted you to bring? It's the uh, head lawyer here for the New York State Department of Health. September 24th, 2019 was a big day for Marty Markowitz. For years, he had been pushing the New York State Department of Health 
to take action against his former psychiatrist, Ike Hirschkoff. Ike, he said, had controlled his life for almost three decades until Marty finally broke away in 2010. Marty had filed a formal complaint back in 2016. Marty accused Ike of exercising undue influence on the patient, a serious ethical violation. The health department's response was always the same. It's under investigation. They would send me a letter from the New York State Department of Health that they had assigned my case to an investigator. The investigator never called me. I never spoke to an investigator. They, they just would disappear, and uh, I would write to them a year or so later, what's going on, and they would say, well, it's under investigation. But wouldn't you know it, exactly one month after The Shrink Next Door aired, the health department issued formal allegations against Ike. The allegations concerned not only his relationship with Marty, but also with the wealthy businesswoman we called Emily, the one who put Ike's daughters in her will to the tune of $20 million. For the record, she redid her will after she broke away from Ike. I spoke to Marty a lot as he was preparing for the hearings. I saw him almost every weekend at his house in the Hamptons. He'd be taking notes or doing research, always talking about how eager he was to testify. Finally, last September, the moment arrived. So what was the hearing like? There were four judges, two women, two men. The chief judge was a a lawyer from Albany, New York. All of them, I understand, are volunteers with the New York State Department of Health. Uh, There was one, a woman, an elderly woman, a psychiatrist. And then there were two other men, one a doctor and one a lawyer. I was opposite them with a hearing reporter sitting next to me. On the right side of this were Ike and his lawyer. And on the left side was uh, the uh, chief uh, prosecutor for the New York State Department of Health. Because the judges all had day jobs, two or three weeks would pass between each hearing date. By the time Marty got off the stand, it was November. He spent a day and a half giving his direct testimony to the health department's lawyer, who was prosecuting the case against Ike. My only concern was that the judges believed me when I spoke, and I could see they were riveted to my testimony. I remember specifically the woman psychiatrist. She was so focused on every word. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Then came the cross-examination from Ike's lawyer. He was a big guy, a stocky, big guy. Uh, with a with a sort of a overbearing kind of presence, I felt his tone was uh, was nasty, overly uh, rambunctious, uh, combative, challenging. In a way, if I were Ike, I probably would be happy with him uh, because he was trying to ruffle me to, to get my dander up, and he did that. But I had to bite my lip again and again to keep myself under control. When he was finally done, Marty felt good. There's no question that after my three days of direct and cross-examination, I felt that I had done the right thing and that I acquitted myself well and that I was happy I decided to pursue the matter. Marty said that the entire time he was telling his story, Ike, who was sitting just a few feet away, didn't look at him, not even a glance. He was very, very focused actually writing notes furiously to his lawyer because he wasn't allowed to ask any questions. The lawyer could ask the questions. And uh, Ike was furiously writing notes of questions he wanted the lawyer to ask. Really, Ike was running the defense. 
The way a medical misconduct hearing works, only the respondent, that's Ike, is allowed to be present for all of the testimony. So Marty had to leave when it was Ike's turn to offer his defense. Marty had no doubt, however, what Ike was going to say. It was the same response he had given me when I sent Ike questions for this podcast. He had done nothing wrong. Marty could see that was going to be Ike's defense just by the questions Ike's lawyer asked him. The main thrust of his challenges had to do with the fact of Ike's principal defense, which was that everything he did was to my benefit and that he never took a penny, even though he he could have taken money, even though he stood to inherit uh, millions of dollars, even though he had access to a Swiss bank account, uh, he never touched any of this money, never took a penny. So therefore, he should be exonerated because he was Mr. Good Guy. Ike's direct testimony was supposed to take two days max. It began in December. By March, Ike was still giving his direct testimony. The cross-examination hadn't even started yet. In an effort to move things along, the judges had scheduled three more days in March. And that's when the pandemic shut everything down. Marty's not shy about saying what he hopes will come out of the hearings. I feel very confident that at the end of the day, the judges will punish Ike to the full extent, which is losing his license. Even though he's frustrated with the delay in the hearings, Marty's not stewing over it. We've both been waiting out the pandemic in Southampton. He seems pretty happy. His sister Phyllis has been there too. They built a chicken coop in the backyard, and a half dozen chickens are supplying them with fresh eggs every day. They take turns walking Marty's dog around the neighborhood. They even started keeping bees. I joined the Long Island Beekeepers Association, and I went to their first meeting. It was in February. I remember it very well. And I came out of that meeting, and I said, oh, my God, I know nothing about honeybees. So I decided to hire their chief technical guy there to help me set up the, the apiary and to help me raise the, the honeybees. I'm learning quickly. And within another 20 years, I should be able to do that by myself. Marty is still running his fabric company. He says he's grown in the past 10 years. I feel like I've matured two or three decades in that period. My my judgment, my sensibilities, my ability to absorb and process material. I mean, just I'm much sharper than I was back in the day. You know, I used to be afraid of confrontations with customers, with suppliers. No more. I'm not afraid of any confrontation. I can I'm able to deal with it all. And there have been other changes. The shrink next door has made him a bit of a celebrity. Last year, a young woman reached out to him after listening to the podcast. I was contacted by a lovely woman in London, England, who I developed a very nice, uh, warm, still to this day, actually, uh, uh, correspondence with. And she's a terrific gal. Uh, but at the end of the day, she decided not to come to America. And, and basically, we, uh, we notched it down from a potential romantic relationship into just a, a platonic uh, relationship. During the entire three decades he spent with Ike, Marty never once went on a date. Ike strongly discouraged it, and Marty wasn't about to cross his psychiatrist. It is an area of his life where he still seems less than fully mature. His niece Lainey told him something years ago that stuck with him. That I basically had my youth, my prime dating years interrupted 
uh, because of this relationship with Ike, and that when I came back into the dating world, uh, I, you know, I, I wanted to pick up where I had left off, which was with, uh, you know, much younger women. I wasn't ready to, 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 uh, to date women who had children and grandchildren, and that's absolutely correct. I'm obviously not in contact with Ike, but I do hear things from time to time. For a while, after the podcast came out, Ike and Becky kept to themselves. Becky usually takes a fundraising bike trip in Israel every fall, but she canceled in 2019. Ike doesn't have a Facebook page, but his wife and daughters do. They all made them private to all but their friends. I hear that Ike's got a core group of friends who've remained loyal to him. He tells people that the podcast was the work of a vengeful ex-patient and a biased journalist. For some reason, he seems to believe that I harbor some deep animosity towards the psychiatric profession. And, by all appearances, he's still practicing psychiatry. The Department of Health hearings were delayed by the pandemic, but now, finally, they're due to restart with virtual sessions in July and September. By then, the hearings will have gone on for more than a year. I did see Ike once. It was in the Department of Health building the morning of that first hearing date, September 24. He was standing in line, waiting to get past security so he could get on the elevator. He was wearing a visor and sunglasses. Becky was next to him. I Hi. walked over. Mr. Nocera, I wanted to ask you how you're feeling about um, the upcoming hearing. Ike didn't respond. He looked straight ahead. Becky, who also wouldn't look at me, moved from his left side to his right to block me from getting too close to him. He looked old. He was no longer the strapping, athletic man I remembered from a decade ago. His hair was gray. When he handed his driver's license to the security guard, his hand was shaking. Okay, all right. One at a time. Can't deal with everybody the same time. One at a time. There was a little ID mix-up. The security guard accidentally handed Ike Marty's driver's license. But it quickly got straightened out. I watched him walk to the elevator with his wife. That's the last time I saw the shrink next door. From Wondery and Bloomberg, this is a special update episode of The Shrink Next Door. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends. You can listen to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free. To see some of the photos, letters, and documents we've talked about in this series, go to Bloomberg.com slash shrinknextdoor. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at Wondery.com survey. The Shrink Next Door was written and reported by me, Joe Nocera. Associate producers are Chris Siegel and Magnus Henriksen. Bloomberg's head of podcast is Francesca Levy. Special thanks to Cat Wells. Sound design by Misha Stanton. Fact-checking by Molly Nugent. Managing producer is Lata Pandia. And executive producers are George Lavender, 
Marsha Louie, and Hernan Lopez for wondering. <laughs>